So we are here back in our teaching series through Paul's letter to the Colossians, and we're picking up, as you can see, in the third chapter once again. And although we read verses 5 through 17, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 15 through 17. But to begin, I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine a town where all the people were just like those described in verses 5, 8, and 9. Sexually immoral, filled with evil desire, greedy, angry, raging, looking to harm others, slanderers. Everything coming out of their mouth was only degrading and obscene, and they were all liars. A few miles up the road, there is another town, and the people there are much different. They are compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, and forgiving. Now, here's the question. Which town would you want to live in? Now, some might say, who wants to live with all those goody-goodies? That just sounds so dull and boring. Well, maybe initially, but given enough time when the realities of a sin-saturated life begin to take their toll, the town up the road is going to look more and more attractive. Now, here's the point. The church is the town up the road. That is what the church is to be. You see, the church is God's alternative to man's world. And man's world is filled with all the things that we mentioned initially. But God's world, God's kingdom, God's community is a community where kindness and compassion and mercy and humility and gentleness, all of those things are the atmosphere of God's community. And, and that's what the church is. The church is, it, it's, it's basically a city of God set up in the set up in the midst of uh, a dark, dark world. So the church is to be a place where we can get a taste of the life of the kingdom of Christ here on earth. And so in the verses that we're going to focus on, verses 15 through 17, let me read them again. And then I want to uh, point out five things that we see in these verses. So Colossians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 15, it says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God 
the Father through him. And so I want us to think today about the church as a community. The church is the community of God. And there are five things that we see in these verses concerning the church as a community. Number one, the church is a community of peace. Secondly, a community of thankfulness. Thirdly, a community of truth. Fourth, a community of joyful instruction. And then finally, a community free from self-interest and focused on Christ alone. So let's look at each of those. And once again, Paul says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body. Now, notice that this peace is to permeate the whole body. Now, it's interesting here because the passage here is really speaking more to the the Christian community collectively. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, we studied a passage there a while back uh, where we, we are told about the peace of God as well. And the peace of God, um, you know, don't be worried about anything, uh, don't be anxious for anything, but rather with uh, prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that passes understanding will uh, guard your hearts and minds. Paul says that to the Philippians. And, and the context of that statement is very much uh, personal or, or individual. He's encouraging the individual believer. But here in this passage, although it has an individual um, application for sure, notice there is a context to this because let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body. So here he's talking about something just slightly different. He's talking about the body and he's talking about the peace of God ruling in the body or to use our term, the peace of God ruling over the community, ruling over the people of God. So the peace of God is to permeate the whole body. There should be that atmosphere of peace when people come among us. You see, the church is no place for strife, division, worry, anxiety. These are the things that mark the world. But in the church, there is to be an atmosphere of peace. Now, of course, we're talking about the church collectively, as I said. We're talking about the community. But obviously, this starts with us personally. Because the strife and the division and the worry and the anxiety, those are things that uh, all develop in the hearts of individual people and then spill over to everybody else and ruin the atmosphere. So it starts with us. Let the peace of God rule. How do we let the peace of God rule? Well, we do it a couple of ways. We do it by, number one, trusting the Lord. You know, so much of our anxiety, so much of our worry, so much of, of the strife and even the tension that sometimes develops among believers is due to the fact that people aren't trusting God. So 
I have got to trust the Lord. I've got to trust the Lord with my circumstances. I've got to trust the Lord with the things going on around me in the world. I've got to trust the Lord with things that are completely out of my control, but believe that they are not out of his control. And when I trust the Lord, then I am at peace. I'm not agitated. I'm not irritable. And I'm not creating strife or tension among others. Why? Because I'm resting, because I'm trusting the Lord. So trusting the Lord, meditating on his plan and his promise. That's how I learned to practically trust the Lord. I meditate on his word and his plan. And I see that God has a plan. He has a a plan for the whole cosmos. But he also has a plan for my life and for the life of my family and my loved ones. And I, so I look at that and I think about that. And along with meditating on his plan, I meditate on his promises, that he has made promises to those who trust him. And so I, I meditate on those promises and I take them to heart. You see, that's one of the reasons why God gave us his word And we amazingly have access to it like no previous generations have had, uh, you know, back before a couple hundred years ago. Uh, But we can actually take and we can go over God's word and we can meditate on those promises and we can take them to heart. And that brings us to the third point, which is believing them, believing God's word. You know, recently I was having one of those moments, you know, where I was having a a stress moment. And just suddenly there flashed in my mind this, this reminder from God's word. I would have lost heart, it says, the psalmist said this, I would have lost heart unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait upon the Lord, be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. And you know, those words flashed into my mind And right at that moment, I thought, yes, that's exactly what I need to do. I need to believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I laid hold of that promise, and guess what happened? I had peace. And all that inner turmoil uh, that could have easily led to outward strife and tension, it just evaporated. So that's what we're talking about. Let the peace of God rule in our hearts personally, so that it can also flow out into the community. So we are a community of peace. Secondly, we are a community of thankfulness. So notice again in verse 15, letting the peace of God rule in your heart to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Oh, be thankful. Wow, what what a simple thing on the one hand But it's amazing how much goodness flows from a thankful heart. You know, when when a person is thankful, everything, it, it just sets the tone for everything else in life. And conversely, when a person is unthankful, it sets the tone for everything in life as well. Now, I was thinking about those. What, what is the opposite of thankfulness? Um, somebody might say, well, of course, it's unthankfulness. Well, 
That's true, but I think there's a better way to understand it. I think a good opposite of thankfulness is entitlement. Entitlement. The entitled person is always slightly irritated under the surface because they feel they are not getting what they really deserve. So you see, they're, they're not thankful for what they've got. They're not thankful for their state, their lot, their, their portion in life. There, there's this entitlement that, that says to them, I deserve something better. And because that's there under the surface, it affects their attitude. So uh, it might be that there was a position that they thought they deserved, or maybe some sort of recognition that they didn't get, or, or maybe some kind of applause. See, deep down, the entitled person is really a prideful person. They feel like they deserve a lot better than they actually have. So, so what is the cure for this kind of um, entitlement that, that shows itself in a lack of thankfulness? Um, the cure is realizing the goodness and mercy of God toward us. The cure is to really realize that, um, you know, I'm actually blessed beyond what I deserve. That those things that I think I'm entitled to, that is really delusional on my part. And so rather than being uh, upset, annoyed, irritable, because I haven't received the accolades or whatever that I think I should, instead, I begin to say, Lord, I cannot believe how good you are to me. You know, it's like that passage in Lamentations where we read, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Man, Jeremiah wrote the Lamentations. And Jeremiah basically says, the fact that we have not been consumed, because our sins deserve it, the fact that we have not been consumed is uh, its a testimony to the mercy of God. God's mercies that are new every morning. So if we walked around realizing how much more blessed and favored we are than we deserve to be, we'd walk around in a state of thankful bliss and the church would shine brighter as a result. I mean, again, just think with me for a second and you you can use yourself as the project, but think about what your attitude is like when you're thankful. When you're thankful, your attitude is good. And, and all of those good virtue things that are desirable, they come forth from a thankful heart. But when a person is unthankful, so move away from yourself for a moment, maybe think of, maybe think of somebody that you can just never please, somebody that's never satisfied, somebody that's never thankful, somebody that just always feels like they're getting the short end of the stick, they're, it, it's not really fair, they deserve so much more. Man, a person like that, you're just like, oh, God, help us. How do we even deal with this? Don't be that person. Let's not be those people. Those kinds of attitudes are not becoming the people of God. 
You see, because if, if there's nothing else, we all know this, that God's kindness, his grace, his forgiveness toward us are all things that we really don't deserve. And he continues to lavish them upon us. So that in and of itself should put us in a disposition of thankfulness, to just simply walk in thankfulness. And man, when you have a community of thankful people, that's the kind of place where people want to hang out. That, that's the kind of place where people want to, uh, they, they want to be there because there's something beautiful about that. And that is who we are to be. People who peace is, governs our hearts, thankfulness flows from us. And then he goes on, Paul, and he says this, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, or some translations read, let the word of Christ dwell among you. And again, this gives us a little bit of a, of a hint that Paul is, of course, including people individually, but he's talking to uh, people collectively as a community, letting the word of Christ dwell among us. Now, remember this, when Colossians was written, the people that received this letter from Paul, they didn't have a Bible like we do. But what they had, they made the best of. And Paul urged them with what they had to dig deeply into it. And the idea here is, is the word of Christ overflowing from you. And so as the word of Christ dwells in us, we become people who are not just parroting God's word, but people who are being so shaped by God's word that when we speak it, it brings life, it brings blessing, it has power. Now, do you understand the distinction that I'm making there? Um, some people are merely parroting God's word. They've got a good brain, they're able to memorize large portions of scripture, and they've committed scripture to memory, and so they will come and they'll just rapid fire a number of, of passages off and say, that's what the Bible says about this particular thing. But in a, in a situation like that, what you find missing is life. What you find missing is, is this transforming power. But you see, when a person comes who knows the word, not just has it stored in the information bank, not just like a hard drive in your head, but when it's in your heart and when it's framing you as a person and you begin to speak it, oh my goodness, the, the power of it is, is profound and significant. Th think of Jesus, for example. Now, Sometimes we forget this. The Pharisees, who were the continual adversaries of Christ, as we know from the Gospels, the Pharisees knew their Bibles. They knew their Bible better than anybody. Of course, Jesus in Jesus, they met their match. But apart from Jesus, they knew their Bibles uh, inside and out, front and back. 
they knew the scriptures. They were able to quote the scriptures. And oftentimes they would come to somebody with the scriptures and they would use those scriptures to beat them down, to condemn them. But you think of Jesus who comes with the scripture to these different situations, these different people. I think of two women. I think of the woman at the well. And here, the, the, this woman at the well, remember, she's a Samaritan woman. She's a sinful woman. She's been married five times. She's living with a person at the moment. And Jesus begins to have a conversation with her. And as Jesus begins to speak the word to her, he's speaking words of, of life to her. And he's speaking words of transformation to her. Now, she's in a sinful situation the Pharisees, of course, they never would have spoken to her in the first place because she was a Samaritan, she was a woman, and then to top it off, she was a sinful woman. So for them, it's like she wasn't even worthy of hearing the word of God. But Christ, who is that living word, he speaks those living words over her. And he says things like this. He says, woman, if you knew who I was that was asking you for a drink of water, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And she says, well... I know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he was going to tell us everything. Jesus says, woman, I am the Messiah. And he addresses the sin in her life, but he does it in such an interesting way. He wants to give her this living water, but he says, first, go call your husband. She's like, I have no husband. He says, you're right. You've had five, and the man that you're living with now is not your husband. Right there, Jesus is calling out her sin, but he's doing it in a way that's not shaming her or crushing her, just showing her that there is a reality that needs to be addressed and dealt with. And, and I think of the same thing, uh, the same type of thing with another woman, the woman that was taken in adultery. Now, as I said about the Pharisees, remember, this woman was brought, she was cast down at the feet of Jesus by these religious leaders. And what did they come with? They came with the word, Moses in the law said to Stoner, what do you say? And if you know the story, you know what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say anything initially. He stooped down, he began to write on the ground. And then he said, the one that is without sin among you, let that one cast the first stone. And of course, everything changed at that point, right? Everybody eventually left. They dropped the stones that they were holding. They left. They walked away. Jesus says to the woman, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But my point in sharing those two stories is this is the outcome of the word of Christ dwelling richly in us and dwelling richly among us. So as God's word is spoken and proclaimed among us, it's that word that ultimately imparts life and promises mercy and brings transformation. And so let the word of Christ dwell in you. And that takes us to our fourth point, a community, the church is a community of joyful instruction. Joyful instruction. Look at what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and counseling. The word admonishing could be translated counseling 
one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Wow, isn't that beautiful? Minister to one another in psalms. We know what the psalms are, right? We have 150 of them in our Bible. And that would be the reference when Paul refers to psalms. He's referring to those psalms. But then he also adds hymns. And so there were hymns that were written in the early days of the church that were basically the story of the gospel. And then there were spiritual songs, much like we've experienced in our midst over the years where God just gives someone a song and that song becomes, through its melody and through its lyrical content, it becomes a means of blessing. And share these things with one another. This is one of the ways that we instruct one another. And you know, that's something for us to think about for a moment, isn't it? Because I think it's easy sometimes to, um, you know, we have a singing portion of our services. It's part of our tradition. It's part of our liturgy, if you will, that we have a, uh, a time set aside where we sing songs. But this is not just uh, a passing of the time. This is not just uh, a few minutes to, to get warmed up so we can hear the teaching from the scripture. It should certainly lend itself to more of an open heart as we open God's word. But the songs themselves are intended to minister to us. The songs themselves are intended to bless us. And, and I can think of many times in my own life where um, coming into church and maybe being concerned, maybe being overwhelmed. And, and then the, the team leads in a song and you think, oh Lord, that song is like, it's like a waterfall being poured out, a refreshing, um, just a, a wave of water coming upon me to refresh and renew me. I, I remember very specifically going through a difficult season, um, together with my wife. And I remember coming to fellowship one evening. And, and I remember just, it was such a, a significant moment where I watched God through the ministry of, the, of the, the word being sung. I watched him revive my wife and give her hope and renew her just through that time. And that's the, the beautiful thing that we have. Uh, our spiritual instruction is not uh, this tedious, laborious thing where we're sitting down and we're you know, meticulously just writing out these equations and trying to figure this out and that out and the other thing out. No, it's a time where we are being instructed through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And there's, there's a joy in all of that. And so, as Paul says, singing and making melody in your heart. So worship songs can be extraordinarily powerful and old ones, brand new ones, ones that are in the middle. Um, you know, I was thinking this week, I want to talk even to our worship team because we have such a long history of singing here in our church and songwriting and um, there, there are so many rich and wonderful songs. We need to keep those songs alive because they will keep us alive. They'll bless us. 
And so I'm looking forward to, to bringing out maybe some of those songs that we've done in the past that we haven't done for a while, those songs that are going to refresh and strengthen and encourage us. So be, be looking forward to that in the weeks ahead. And then finally, the final point here is that the church is a community free from self-interest and focused on Christ alone. That's what Paul is talking about when he says, and whatever you do, verse 17, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, this is, this is where trouble comes into life. <laughs> this is where trouble comes into relationships. This is where trouble comes into the church. When people begin to operate out of self-interest, trouble begins. And unless that course is turned away from, things are only going to go from bad to worse. But you see, we're never to serve out of self-interest. We are not here to glorify ourselves. We are not here to build a platform for ourselves. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We are here to lift up one name, and that's the name of Jesus. And you see, if I come at my life as a Christian with that as my attitude, if I come at my uh, gathering together with the people of God in worship and in service with that as my attitude, it's going to make all the difference in the world. Because you know what? If the spotlight is on somebody else, it doesn't matter to me because I'm not here to be under the spotlight in the first place. If I do something, but I don't get a pat on the back for it, it's okay because I didn't do it to get a pat on the back. I did it for Jesus. And, and you know, these are small things seemingly, but they can turn into huge issues that create massive problems and cause all kinds of trouble in the community of God. So we are to avoid those things, and we can do that by truly serving Christ alone and not ourselves. And you see, when that's the motive, so many things get done. So many more things get done. I don't have to wait to make sure that somebody's going to see me do it. I can just do it and know that it's, it needed to be done. I'm going to get it done. Nobody ever even has to know that I did it, but the Lord knows I did it because I am doing everything in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory. And I am trusting that one day, the Lord who sees in secret, he will reward me openly. I don't need to be living for the praise of man today. So a community free from self-interest and focused on Christ alone. And so remember, we're talking about now ourselves collectively. Now it's a, it's a little challenging right this moment, right? Because we haven't had... Uh, the kinds of opportunities that we would normally have and have had for all of our Christian lives to be together collectively. Thank God we do have um, opportunities opening up. Thank God that we are able to meet outside. Thank God that we have a field and we're able to have a, a live service there on the field. Um, but 
when that time comes, when the opportunity is restored to us to come together as the people of God, let's remember these things. Let's remember that the church is that place that God has designated to be a, a picture of heaven on earth, really. That's what it is. It is, as Eugene Peterson said, it is a colony of heaven in a country of death. I love that picture because it's so true. Man, we live in a country of death. All that surrounds us is, is death, and it's dead, and it's, and it's dying, and it's being scorched. You know, we're, we're living right now in the midst of a, a scorched earth policy almost for everyone. You know, uh, people want to burn the thing down. They want to burn it all down. And then people over here want to war against that. And it, it, that, that's the country of death that we're surrounded by. But the church is a colony of heaven. See, the church is to be a place that's just, man, it's different. It's different. When I go among those Christians, it's, they're just different. There's peace there. And boy, I don't know, everybody, everybody's, everybody seems to be so thankful. And, you know, they're, they're filled with uh, like these truths. They just know like things that are right. And, and there's, there's so much wisdom in the things that they speak. And, you know, they talk about the Bible and the Bible is, wow, I, I didn't know that the Bible was like it really is. And, and, you know, they're, they're joyful. And, and there's nobody that's really out for themselves. Oh, that's a colony um, of heaven right there in, in a land of death, in a country of death. And, and that's who we are as the people of God. So the church, Jesus put it like this, the church is a city set up on a hill that cannot be hidden because of the bright light. And so Jesus would say in that connection there in Matthew chapter five, he would say, let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they will glorify your father in heaven. And I'm saying to you and to me that as we live this out as the community of God, as we live out the peace of God, the thankfulness, the truth, the, the joy, and the desire to honor and exalt Christ, it's going to change everything. And that's what the world needs. The world needs to see an alternative, a beautiful alternative to what it is experiencing. And, and I think right now, these are obviously critical times. They're strategic times. And as the church, we, we need to just get our eyes off of so many different things and remember that this is a time for the church to be the church, to be this different thing so that people in the world, from whatever side they're on, but they're just completely burned out and overwhelmed and wondering, is there any alternative that they see it there in that community of people, the community of the people of God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be, Lord, 
not that people, because we are that people, but help us to be who we are. Help us, Lord, to live these things out. Help us, Lord, to let the peace of God rule in our hearts personally, that the peace of God might rule among us. Lord, cause us to be uh, filled with gratitude for all of your goodness toward us. Lord, may we just continue to drink from the wealth of your word and be enriched by it and have it overflow from our lives. And Lord, give us new songs and old songs. And through all of those things, Lord, build us up in our most holy faith. And Lord, may we do everything that we do, not for ourselves, but for Christ and for his glory. That is our prayer. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.